Today on the ZabeCast, is legalized sports gambling and micro-betting in-game really the holy grail and cash cow that some sports owners think it is? I'll bloviate, you decide. Drew Olson swings by to bask in the Brewers' glow of the NL Central title and to deliver a rousing FPG to one of his most hated institutions. All of that plus exploding eyeballs? If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Wednesday, October 3rd, 2018. Thank you for the download. Good news, my first 500 army. Your ale coins have arrived at headquarters and they are being dispatched this week. So you should have them in your pretty little hands by early next week. And I really appreciate everybody who was first in on this. Now, I know a lot of people have signed up after the first 500. Where's my ale coin? I had to create an incentive, a bit of a of a gold rush, a, a coin rush, so to speak, uh, to get in and order the Zabe Premium subscription early to be, you know, to reward the first 500. There's only, I only printed 550 coins. I did print 50 for myself. And that's it. Not going to print another run of it. So you know if you've got one of these coins, you have a true, genuine collectible, and I appreciate that. Will there be additional premium subscriber benefits? Yes. Offerings, of course. Discounts, sure. And more, yes, there will be. I'm thinking about one for those that were in the second wave of subscribers. Like maybe after three months of continuous loyalty, you might get something nice for Christmas. If you're good and if you stay a subscriber. We'll figure it out. Let's start with this story from the Washington Post about our fearless owner and Stanley Cup champion owner, Ted Leonsis, owns both teams in town, the basketball team and the hockey team. Ted Leonsis is huge on legalized gambling and legalized gambling in arena and during the game when it comes to basketball, hockey, and everything else. But, of course, it's primarily his interests are in basketball and hockey because that's what he owns right now. Uh, The title of the story in the Washington Post by Rick Mace is Games Within Games. And the story starts by saying Ted Leonsis was never a gambler, an entrepreneur, a businessman, a philanthropist, an investor, but never much of a gambler. So perhaps he's an unlikely torchbearer for one of the biggest shifts in the sports world has seen in the 21st century. That's the lead from Rick Mace's story. Leonsis goes on to talk about his vision for how sports gambling is going to envelop his sport and others. And doesn't seem to have any worries about people who are chronic gamblers, degenerate gamblers, Addicted gamblers, you name it. He says, and this is an interesting quote, I liken sports betting more to Wall Street, said Leonsis. I don't believe it'll be considered a game of chance. I think it will be a game of skill, just like you can be a day trader, you can be at Goldman Sachs making billion-dollar bets on companies. I've talked about sports gambling vis-a-vis Wall Street with a number of buddies, both in the financial sector and gambling degenerates. Tucker, settle down. My dog is in here, by the way, right now. Uh, Tucker, good boy. Go, just go sit down and chill over there, okay? All right, buddy? At least he's not barking, right? How it can be. I'm going to pet him with my left hand while I podcast here. Is that okay? Okay. I've, uh, I've compared the two, and I've said, well, on the one hand, sports in a lot of ways is more straightforward and honest than Wall Street. Lord knows there have been so many scandals, and of course the entire 2008 crash was predicated on Wall Street bullshittery, and the fact that these subprime mortgages were bundled up and sold and stamped with an A rating when they were nothing but pure shit stitched together with twine and pushed out the door. That day the skies should have darkened with Wall Street bankers and investors jumping from their windows to their death. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that too gruesome for you? Are you saying to yourself, Good God! Uh, Well, a lot of people lost money. A lot of people lost their life savings. A lot of people got duped out of a lot of hard-earned cash during that. And you could say that they were complicit or they should have known better. But I take a little bit different view of it. It's amazing to think that basically, I think they only prosecuted one or two people 
from that entire collapse, which tanked the economy and would have been even worse if the government didn't backstop certain entities. And of course, you and I ended up paying for that backstopping of said entities with our taxpayer dollars. But I digress. So in some ways, sports is more honest than Wall Street. But in other ways, Wall Street is different from sports gambling in that there is nobody in in Wall Street that is actively hoping you lose. Like there is no house in Wall Street. If you think a company is poised for growth, then go ahead and you know bet on it. If you don't, then don't. Now I know there's ways to short companies and manipulate stocks and all that complicated stuff that's way beyond my understanding. But that said, Sports betting is, hey, these these sports books that are going to offer these bets, they are going to get the sharpest, cleanest lines they can, and they're going to make the odds such that they don't lose ever, almost. And that's how it's going to be. So when Ted compares sports gambling to Wall Street, I don't know about that. Ted envisions a day in which the arena will open in the morning and attract crowds during the lunch hour, Happy hour and every hour in between, writes Mace. The allure, sports betting. Television and betting windows will abound. Screens everywhere, says Ted. The area around the arena, maybe in spaces inside the building, will resemble high-tech sports books, the kind found in high-end Las Vegas-style casinos. There will be betting windows and sporting events from all over the world being broadcast on walls of television screens. The sports books won't be limited to traditional wagers, win or lose, or total points scored, but will have a variety of prop bets and perhaps the biggest development of all, in-game betting options. That means fans could bet on specific plays nearly in real time. Will the Caps score on the pending power play? Will will there be uh, will LeBron James miss the next free throw? And on and on. Will the Wizards make a basket on the next possession? Odds for all that too. Everything imaginable under the sun. Potentially, writes Mace, keeping fans engaged at the times when action lulls and games turn dull. Leonsis calls it the gamification of sports, a new reality in which, like the athletes in the spotlight, fans in the stands will also find themselves rooted in competition that's centered around the action in front of them, staking their money on informed speculation as much as a lucky hunch. I'm sorry, but there's no informed speculation on whether or not uh, LeBron James is going to make his next free throw. It's it's just a hunch based on his averages. I try not to call it gambling, says Ted. Gambling to me sounds like rolling the dice, not knowing what the outcome is. And gamification, powered by big data, you have all the information that you need to make a very, very reasoned decision. Oh, Really? A lot of sports is completely random. In fact, much of it is. Now, there's data that can be parsed out, and there's people all the time trying to get the edge on data, both in terms of winning games and betting against the spread. But you know what? Everyone has the data. And if you don't have the data, you're going to buy the data, and that's the other angle that Ted and other owners are pursuing. They want to sell you the data as gamblers. They want to get you to gamble on every game and in the game, and then they want to sell you the data that they accumulate by way of their next-gen stats and their tracking and everything else. A Nielsen report commissioned by the American Gaming Association released last month suggests the sale of league data could net $30 million per year in revenue for the NFL alone. Because gamblers don't flip coins, they crunch numbers in ways that casual sports fans can't fully appreciate. Some gamblers do, not all. And leagues will now collect more data than ever as they look to spot betting trends and identify suspicious activity. Hmm, interesting. All that data will become a resource for gamblers too, especially those betting in real time. It's something teams could package and make available to season ticket holders or for a cost to fans and gamblers in a subscription service. I get it. It seems like a nice thing to do. Let's back up and stop for a second. How many people do you know that are going to get off on betting whether or not LeBron James makes or misses the next free throw in a game. I don't know very many people like that. Those people I usually call degenerates. Now, if you have to have that, and and how much would you bet on that particular thing? A hundred dollars? And what are you going to do if you're up a couple hundred bucks or down a couple hundred bucks? I mean, 
I don't see the vast numbers of people that love sports just to gamble. I think it's been one of the more overstated angles ever since the push to legalize sports gambling picked up steam in the last couple of years. I like to bet on sports. I do when I can, but I'm not consumed by it. Like every time I go to Vegas, I always think, you know, I should put a couple of futures bets in on, you know, upcoming NFL season, upcoming golf events, whatever. Almost always I forget to place the bet. You know why? I don't really care because I'm not going to bet enough money to change my life. Even if I bet the $1,000 I once wagered on Kansas in the big, in the Sweet 16, it's not going to change my life. So what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Oh, but the action. Eh. It doesn't really excite me that much. And I consider myself one of Ted's primary targets. So while I applaud it as a good idea and something I'm not opposed to, and the more TV screens Ted can put up inside the Capital One arena, the better. I'm, I'm all for it. But his thought that the arena will be filled at lunchtime and happy hour and all day with gamblers coming in, <laughs> I'd love to see it. I guess Ted doesn't go to many sports books in Vegas. At some casinos where you think, oh, I bet this place has a huge sports book. You're like, what? This is it? Not bigger than this? Like, this is all they've got? Yeah, that's it. The percentage, the pie slice of revenues from casinos in Vegas on sports gambling and their sports book is very small. I mean, I think it's like 12%, if that. It's just not a huge slice of revenue because most people don't really gamble that heavily. And they're not going to just because it's legal or because they've got an iPhone or an iPad app. Oh, I get to bet on the next power play for the Caps. A lot of people that go to sporting events, they want to go for the, I know it's crazy, the sport itself and to be part of something bigger than just them and to be with other like-minded people and to see athletic brilliance on display and to watch your team win and then say, yay, my team won. You don't want to walk out of the arena. Most people don't going, well, we lost, but man, I killed it on these prop bets. We shall see. Time to talk to our buddy Drew Olson from the Big 920 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All right, a man joins us now who spent the better part of yesterday as part of his job in a bar watching the hometown baseball team reel in their hated rival, the Chicago Cubs. Drew Olson, who was at Left's Lucky Town, one of the great hangout bars in all of Milwaukee, to watch that go down yesterday. Didn't suck to be you yesterday now, did it, Drew? It certainly did not. It didn't suck to be a Brewers fan or to live in Milwaukee or Wisconsin yesterday. The uh, How was the, the scene, by the way? I was so jealous. Oh. You know, uh, Clarky once dragged me to lefts because that's like his bar of record, I guess, the oh. bar they used to always go to after softball. He still does, yeah. Right, exactly. And we, he would give me hats from lefts and everything. And I went to it once and I was like, okay, there's nothing special about this place except for the fact the people there all know each other. It's like Cheers, where everybody knows your name. Pretty much, yes. It's a gathering spot, and it's uh, been expanded probably since you visited. But uh, it I is, saw the uh, outdoor deck one time. Oh, when okay. I was well, there. then, then yeah, it's it is. Uh, but it's just our spot, man. It's we call it the living room because we spend as much time there as we do in our own living room. <laughs> That's hilarious. And of uh, you know, and of course, there are more than a few such watering holes in the Brew oh. City. Absolutely. Yeah. A bar on every corner and three in between. (laughs) (laughs) See, here's what's funny, okay? Me being from D.C. and the DMV area, yes, we have bars here. We don't have bars like Milwaukee. It's totally different. You've been around. You've traveled covering baseball, Drew. You know how it is. Like, everything is too new around here. Our suburbs and our exurbs they're all They're strip malls and planned T- communities. Yeah, TJ McGillicuddy's. And yes, you can go to a Bonefish Grill and get a beer, but it's not like going to a cinder block, single story bar with a neon sign and one window. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same. Uh, and a lot of the bars in Milwaukee were built by the breweries back in the day when we were, you know, Blatz, Schlitz, Pabst, oh really, Miller, yeah, and you can see they're iconic, and they're they're the classic bar that's in a residential neighborhood that actually is a house, and the owner lives upstairs or behind it. Oh yeah, you know, those are the classic that's, taverns. That's the other thing that when I'm driving around, uh, when I come up to visit during the Bob and Brian Open weekend, 
and you're driving around these country roads outside of Milwaukee, and it's farmland, 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 abandoned road, farmland, farmland, bar. And it's a bar, like in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, okay, so what's this all about? And it's all about people coming together, drinking, and, and just, you know, doing something together. And now you've got a baseball team that is going to embark upon something special. Wow. Pretty cool. It is. It's been uh, what a magical run. I, I wrote the Brewers off as far as the division several times in September. There was just no way. The math didn't work out. The, po- the Cubs yeah, were the, too good. The nerds said 5% chance. The fangraphs.com playoff odds or the POF as we call it. Which, by the way, do you know how that soup is made? The POF soup? Do you have any idea uh, on how they make those numbers? Uh, the simulations. Uh, they, they simulate is that the what it is? 10,000 times based on... Record, strength of schedule, uh, yeah, all that crap gets thrown in, and then they spit it out, and then they, they, they get their probabilities. So you know the guys at Fangraphs? No, but I knew the guys at ba- Baseball Prospectus back in the day. Okay. And, the, yeah, so. Because it was weird. For, for a long time this summer, as the Nationals were wandering aimlessly, and I'm like, this does not have the look of a playoff team, their, their playoff pop was still very high. It was like 67%. And I'm saying, well, how do they then calculate who's hurt, who's likely to be hurt, um, other factors? I didn't know if there was any human elements that went into the guessing of here's who should win and who should make the playoffs, or if it's all just numbers. It, uh, yeah, it's all numbers. I mean, okay. it's all it's it's dispassionate. Yeah. Well, the numbers said for the, the Brewers are wrong. Four point nine percent as of September first, which is always the default of. So you're saying. There's, There's a, a chance. chance. And when you're exactly. five out, yeah, but when you're five out, and the Brewers had some head-to-head games with the Cubs, and they won four out of six of those, and that kind of set a tone. But still, they had to sprint to the finish and earn it. They won 20 out of 28, their last 28 games or something like that. Something yeah. ridiculous. What is the uh, most magical thing about this particular team and or this particular run? What is the the, the little sprinkle of sauce well, that, that defies common baseball sense? Here it is, in a nutshell. The Brewers clinched their playoff berth. They've had two champagne celebrations, which we can get into with baseball, but they clinched their playoff berth at, at Bush Stadium and sprayed champagne on enemy soil, and then they beat the Cubs for the division and sprayed champagne at Wrigley. They are storming through <laughs> enemy territory. Right. And this is, you know, that that is, uh, to me, the sweetest thing about it is so far. I mean, this journey may end, you know, in a week, but who knows? But so far, that those highlights, those are going to be indelible for people. Yeah. By the way, they could have, if my calculations are correct, six, six champagne celebrations. Okay. One, one to clinch the playoffs. That was in St. Louis. One that they had yesterday. Yep. That's two. One for the division series. One for the NLCS. The pennant, yep. Oh, and I guess five, not yep. six. Well, and then champagne when Kristen Yelich gets named MVP in November. <laughs> Just so champagne all the time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, then it's six. Championship parade champagne. So you yes. have home field advantage through the NL. Of course, the monsters all live over in the American League, but you'll deal with that later. Yeah, you know. You'll deal with that later. The, the goal now is making a run to the World Freaking Series. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the goal is to win now the pennant. It's too well. It's to get on. And the beautiful thing about sports is uh, the Cubs are lurking now. Cubs are lurking and could win, as we tape this, they could win tonight and be back and the Brewers and Cubs could play a five-gamer, and that would be epic. Yeah. Now, do you uh, do you want the Cubs or do you want the Rockies? You know, people around here are like, they want to see the Cubs suffer again because you know how this, it's the little brother relationship, Wisconsin, Illinois, right. Milwaukee, Chicago. Right. They drive through, they, they invade Miller Park on a regular basis. and they, you, finally, you finally bloodied their nose a bit yeah. and you want to keep punching them. Exactly. But... But they're but, still the big brother, and they're still yes. brawny, and they're still big, and you know you beat if up it the were bully. me, if it were me, I'd want the Rockies for this reason alone. Rocky fans will not invade your stadium. That's true. That will not happen. Like even though it's the playoffs, there is no but, way you're going to prevent Cub fans from turning out in force at Miller Park. But it's a case of be careful what you wish for, because the Rockies would come in, and Arenado's a hell of a player. Oh, yeah, no, and, the and Rockies are no joke. Tough. I mean, Coors Field is a tough place to play and pitch, and it can mess with your brain. And, you know, it's it's that, that ain't easy either. And the way the Cubs are playing right now, and I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, and 
it'll be a probably so, a, sorry i missed it i was monitoring back. the social media site yes. all day and i missed a Pro- few tweets from a few probably people probably come I back but the brewers unsung mvp of this run has been thursday on the calendar because every thursday in september the brewers had a scheduled day off yeah and that I did see allowed that. them to fill the tanks and rest the bullpen mm-hmm. and calibrate now the cubs had some rainouts and stuff and they didn't have every Thursday off. And yesterday, they played their 41st game in 42 days. Tonight, they'll play their 42nd game in 43 days. They are on fumes. They're dragging. Their bats are slow. They're not scoring. Now, they've had plenty of games this year where they scored less than three runs, and, you know, that that is... They've had some problems offensively. They haven't been in fuego since the All-Star break on offense. But that was a huge factor. The Brewers were more rested than the Cubs. And then... I tweeted that, and people said, well, it's because of the roof. Like, yeah, yeah well, the roof yeah. doesn't make the schedule, and the roof, <laughs> you right. can still get rained out on the fucking road. Yeah, it, that's Half a good the point. Half you have a rain out, so it, the And guess schedule, what? Hey, Wrigley, maybe you should have built a roof. And, With yeah, all these renovations, maybe exactly. a roof. <laughs> but then the other thing is that the Brewers had their stretch where they played, uh, they had a rain out, and they, going into the All-Star break, they played 29 games in 30 days or something ridiculous like that, and they were sputtering. They lost five in a row in a series. A weekend in Pittsburgh, they lost all five games. Yeah, A four-game series that with a rain out tacked on, they went 0-5, and, and it looked bleak. Yeah. Low point of the season. By the way, this uh, Rockies ace, Kyle Freeland, I didn't know about him until just now. He's from Denver, yeah. and he's 17-7 and with a 2.85 ERA, which for a pitcher at Coors Field is like having an ERA of zero. Basically, yeah. I mean, any 2.85 year, in Coors if it, Field. If it wasn't for DeGrom, he might be getting some Cy Young run, but DeGrom is going to run away with that. So. Exactly. Okay, yeah. so a uh, couple other things about this Brewer team. Um, the Yelich trade, where is that going to go down in the history of fleecings oh, in terms of lopsided, short-sided trades? Spectacular. It's spectacular. It's and right up there, right? It's it's right up there, yeah. Well, um, Brett Favre for a second-round pick. I was just thinking worst baseball trades Worst ever. baseball trades. Well, I mean, Lewis Brinson could end up being an all-star multiple times, and this is still a great deal. you get you got a guy at the peak of his powers. He's under control. He's the matinee idol now. He's the uh, the face of the franchise. Uh, Braun's, the, Braun's the elder statesman, but Yelich is the, the guy who's selling the jerseys yeah, now. Yeah, but he's Brinson's underperforming right now for the Marlins, correct? He has been. He's still really young. Okay. He's still going to be good. And they have they got a kid, Isan Diaz, in that deal, too, that could end up being a starting caliber player. But right, no so one's going to bemoan this. Okay. Uh, the, 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 of course, the worst trade of all time was Babe Ruth for the mortgage on Fenway and 125 grand in cash and the rights to No-No Nanette. That's true. From yep. Harry Frezzi. Nolan Ryan for Jim Fregosi, December of 1971. Pretty awful. Uh, Steve Carlton for Rick Wise. Oof. Steve Carlton won 27 games for the last place Phillies. Notching an all-time record of 45% of the team's wins. How about that? Ouch. Frank Robinson was dealt for Milt Pappas. That Cubs uh, connection. Orioles wrote off uh, Robinson is old at 30 years old. Uh, <laughs> Dennis Eckersley for three minor leaguers. Oof. Although, did anyone see Eck becoming this dominant lockdown closer like he did? I don't think so. I'm not sure no. they did. Well, and because that role hadn't really been the one inning closer, it wasn't invented till Eck, really. Right. You know, that kind of whole thing. Christy Matthewson for Amos Ruzi, December Ooh. of 1900. Old Haas Radburn has a take on that. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Do you still follow Old Haas? Yeah, I think it pops up on my timeline once in a while. I need to refollow that guy. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, the you batting average isn't that high, but it's usually a chuckle. You know who's going to get unfollowed is Captain Andrew Luck. I'm tired of that account. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Dearest mother, we played the Rivermen of so-and-so. Shut up. Uh, like, I'm done. Oh, I get it. He looks like a Civil War captain, and he's writing fake letters to his lovely wife about their... Shut up. Don't want to hear it anymore. Lou Brock for Ernie Broglio, 1964. Uh, Sparky Lyle for Denny Cater. Rocky Calavito for Harvey Keen. George Foster for Frank Duffy and Vern Geeshert. I've got two more. Uh, actually, eleven of twelve. This is the last one. Tom Seaver for four players: Gaylord Perry and Frank. Okay, uh, Pedro Martinez for Delano, Delano De Shields, the more modern one. Uh, Kurt Schilling, Steve Finley, and Pete Harnish for Glenn Davis. Ah, Glenn Davis totally sucked. That was an Orioles trade yeah. right there. Whoops. Uh, and speaking of the Orioles, did you see where Chris Davis finished with the worst batting average in baseball history? 
167 for anybody who had 500 or more at bats. What an accomplishment. And he got paid $19 million to do so. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How do you, like, if if you're a guy, okay, um, the previous record, by the way, was 179 by a certain Rob Deere in 1991. Dan Ugla also uh, yeah. hit 179 in 2013. Uh, but Chris Davis, a.k.a. Crash Davis, who had a big slugging year right before he got paid, finished this year at 168. Worst ever by a guy who qualifies. How do you feel if you're Chris Davis? Um, I'm laughing on the 1st and the 15th, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no sense of shame? Can you literally just bounce around like, yeah, I suck today, but or I suck this year, but who cares? I'm rich. You don't think that he's pissed off and embarrassed by this? Uh, you know, there used to be a stigma to striking out 100 times in a season. Now it's 200 times is the bar. The bar is always moving. I don't know if he feels that way. Okay. Game's evolved. And here's another one. This is very spooky, very odd how this is. The other Chris Davis in the majors, Oakland A's outfielder, Chris Davis with a K-H-R-I-S. Yes. Just recorded, Drew, his fourth consecutive season with an exact 247 batting average. That is stunning. That's Coco Bananas go nuts. Four straight years at 247, 247, 247, 247. When some kid gets his baseball card in their tops pack with the stick of fossilized bubble gum in it, they're going to go, this is a misprint. How do you finish four straight years hitting 247? Consistent as can be. Home runs <laughs> the last three years, 42, 43, 48. He came exactly. up with the Brewers. They traded him uh, to the A's and he because he couldn't he can't play a position. He's a total DH. Yeah, exactly. Uh did the hater tweets galvanize this team? I don't know that they did. It's I a mean, very cliched trite story to write, yeah. which is tempting, I'm sure, for some writers, because it's like, ooh, this is a good story. But it may not be true. Who cares? We're going with it. Yeah, I don't know that they closed ranks around him there. I mean, they, it, this is a really supportive team, and this is something that I, I, Craig Council is uh, as a player. You remember him? He had the chicken batting stance, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, and he was you know scrappy and, and he was Rudy, a Notre Dame guy, not exactly a baseball powerhouse, and he was blue collar. I mean, he was a guy that didn't wear batting gloves, had the blisters on his hands a lot, and. He's old school, but now that he's managing, he's kind of new school. And he uses phrases. He doesn't call the bench the bench. In spring training a couple of years, he said it's a position player group. Because <laughs> we don't really have you – know, Because he thinks that's insulting? He, no, he said well, – You're we on have, the bench. Get on the who, bench, loser. And he spent his, a lot of his career on the bench. But he said, well, we have starters and we have guys who start certain days, but everybody's going to play and everybody's involved. And so that's our position player group. The we position look at it player group. And then the bullpen, it's like, okay, bullpen guys, he refers to them as just, you know, outgetters because it's like we have to get outs. When when you get outs doesn't really matter. It's you have to get outs. Outgetters. Outgetters. He he used that <laughs> phrase. And then his catchphrases in the in terms of the clubhouse and stuff is connectivity, connected. He wanted guys to be connected and family. And he and I'm, I'm telling you, it sounds crap and everybody tries to do that. Damn if they didn't do it. And they have this they have the and it it starts with the social engineering. This guy, I'm telling you, Zabe, spends hours with a chart trying to decide where to put guys' lockers in spring training. Really, I got this prospect, uh, Steve Zabe, I want to sit him next to Braun so he can sit and talk to Braun, and Braun can kind of show him how to so go about his business. Absorb I want, the I right want to spread stuff. out the, a lot of clubhouses. You go and they have a Latin corner where all the Latin players kind of gather together and they hang out and they speak Spanish. It's very festive. There's a mariachi band there. Yeah, it's very clicky, and and it's its own entity, and he will mix guys around. He doesn't want that. He wants to mix guys around. He wants guys from different backgrounds, old guys with young guys. Uh, You know, just he just tries to he socially engineers that to get people who wouldn't otherwise hang out to hang out the latin corner there's chicken grilling on open <laughs> half barrels exactly there's guys with I've, their muscle cars being waxed up and shown off I've been racist in, no i'm not and, being racist i'm just joking all right relax yes. everybody it, and it, the latin corner the festive true. corner the yeah. festive corner and that's where and he wanted everybody involved connected and then what happened is they bring guys in, high-character veteran guys at the deadline, like Mustakas from Kansas City, who's like a clubhouse leader. He's instantly embraced and instantly 
feels welcomed and instantly starts to show his personality and exude leadership. Same with Curtis Granderson, who's one of the best guys in baseball. Yeah. Um, in any clubhouse, he's regarded as, you know, almost a, he's almost sainted the way he comports himself. And bringing him in certainly didn't hurt. And the, so the, the guys, Wade Miley, guys who have been veteran guys love it. The, the culture that they've created, and let's face it, winning 96 games doesn't hurt because all the little petty bullshit about playing time and all the other stuff uh, and who's getting the biggest cheers, that gets pushed aside when you're winning. That's but, the biggest, I think, uh, discussions. One of, the, one of the bigger discussions in sports is does chemistry precede winning or is it a trailing yes. indicator? Because winners always have great chemistry. You don't hear about a winning team in any sport in which you go, yeah, they're winning. Very but- rarely. The Oakland A's in the 70s uh, used to brawl a little bit, and then the Bronx Zoo Yankees was a freaking circus with Reggie and Billy Martin and all okay, those guys. Okay, fair enough. But it's rare, and it's mostly it's all for one, one for all. Uh, the Cubs slogan is all in, and that's you know that's been their their rallying cry. And that's I don't know. I mean, I, I th- you're right. It's a chicken and egg thing. Can you win without that? What does it come from winning, or does that create winning? I think it's a little of both. Yeah, there was some saying. I think it was about a Red Sox team that had a lot of stars in the '70s that didn't like each other. It was 32 limos for 32 different players, yes. or something like that. How many? Yep. What's yeah. what's a major league 20, roster? It, it was 25 players, 25 cabs okay. after the game. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. 25 players, 25 cabs. Uh, Craig Council, let's not forget, has won the World Series two times. Yes. And has had big hits in those two World Series appearances, including uh, the 97 Game 7 for the Miami Marlins. Yep. Miami big, Marlins. He had a the big Florida Marlins. Fly. He had a big yes. sack fly and scored the winning run later. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then again with Arizona. Yeah. I mean, he was a big part of that team. You also tweeted out, Drew tweeted this out. You should follow Drew on Twitter at Drew Wilson MKE. Uh, he tweeted out a picture of a young Craig Council, just a boy from Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. Sitting in between two legendary brewers. Who were the two well, brewers you were sitting between? One of them was legendary, Raleigh Fingers and Dion James. Okay, yeah. But it was two like a brewers. photo day or something, but two brewers, yeah. yeah. And he was there with some little trophy? Yeah, I don't know. i got to ask him about that, what that deal was. But yeah. that picture surfaced, and it's just awesome. And Craig's dad was the marketing director for the brewers, so he grew up at the ballpark. He Got grew up it. going there, and he was he would, you know, he's 10 years old playing catch with Robin Yount and, and Paul Molitor. You know, and pretty now he's nice. managing against Paul Molitor, and he made pretty the big leagues. Pretty nice and, you life. Know, yeah, pretty nice, a pretty nice life. life, and he was not, you know, a standout at Whitefish Bay, which in this, these parts, especially, it's changed now. But we didn't produce a lot of big league players back in his day, and for him to make it all the way, it's just a testament to his scrappiness and dedication and talent and intelligence. Yeah, no, it's good. Every stuff. manager he ever played for loved him. Bob Brenly, when he was with Arizona, I love this guy. Are you kidding me? I can win with this guy. Jim Leland loved him, even though. Initial reactions weren't great when Jim Leland saw Craig Council. That that '97 Marlins team needed an infielder, and they uh, one of their one of their coaches said, hey, "I saw this guy in, in you know Arizona League or something. Uh, maybe we should go get him." So they went and got him from the Rockies, and they traded for him. And Leland saw Council take BP, and he popped a bunch of balls into the cage. He's like, "What the fuck did we just trade for? Are you kidding me? This yeah. guy's not going to play." Yeah. First of all, he looks like a bat boy when he got there. He still looks like he could get carded at R-rated movies. Right. And then he ended up being a you know a, a big contributor there. All right, can we switch gears to a little football? Why, yes. Okay, first of all, before I get to switching gears to football, I always love feedback from listeners of this podcast and others, and I take all feedback under consideration equally. I don't necessarily agree with it all, but I will I will listen to your feedback. I got this post on zabe.com after yesterday's podcast from somebody who did not leave his name, but that's okay. He writes to say, Drew, 24 minutes of baseball and golf to open a Monday show during NFL season? Why not add in sailing, bowling, and curling? You should know better than that. At least put the crappy sports at the end so we can stop listening. Or start off with a warning such as, for the next 24 minutes, I'll discuss golf and baseball so everyone under the age of 55 can skip that part and go directly to the NFL. Try to limit your conversation of the boring niche sports to the end of the webcast. This does not really make me feel like I ought to try out paying for a webcast on Fridays. You need to get the quality up Monday through Thursday to get me to try out the premium version on Fridays. Crappy sport discussion Monday to Thursday does not get me to pay for Friday. 
Of course, the one exception is Game of Thrones. I love that stuff anytime. If you do not care about getting people to pay, then keep doing crap like golf and baseball. I love you, Zabe. Doesn't feel that way. But you are better yeah. than this. Okay. Let me start by saying, all right, fuck you, sir. Yeah. Well noted. Go fuck yourself, uh, number one. Number two, I thought people understood that if you don't like something on a podcast, take that finger and just scooch it ahead. I didn't know that it was a big deal, the sequencing of when I talk about my niche sports. That's number one. Number two, the Ryder Cup is a delicacy that is served in my restaurant once every two years. Yeah. Okay, and so I did an entire podcast, one out of five for the week, on the Ryder Cup last week. And I did 20 minutes of it on Monday. I'm going to do a little bit more later in the week, and that's it. And then we're done. Then we're done for two full years. It's like getting a checkup that you don't, you know, like a prostate exam or something. You don't yes. really like it. You no. got to get it done every now and then. That's that. As far as baseball goes, I'm sorry, but fuck you, pal. A lot of people really love baseball. Well, a lot of people who don't watch the college basketball love the tournament. And a lot of people who don't watch baseball and this is the time, it, right? This is the tournament. This is yes. where the games mean something. This is where a 1-1 pitch has you on the edge of your freaking seat. Yes. And for a guy who claims to love football, the irony is he says, I'm not paying for the Friday podcast. What is the Friday podcast, All Drew? football. All fucking football. Fucking pay for it. An That's hour, what you want. An hour and a half of football. And so, Mr. X went 10-2-1. and one. Against the spread, I went oh. eight four and one, and our combined picks, me and Mister X, were six and zero. Oh. So whenever we overlapped, we were six and fucking zero. Oh. But that yeah, is... I you know, like he yells at me, "Don't talk about this shit early. Talk about it late." And by the way, I like football, so more football. But I'm not paying for the football that you purposely deliver only football on Fridays. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You know, you follow the story. And the thing is, you don't, this isn't, you're not going to a podcast. There's 9 million sports podcasts out there. You're going to this one because you like Zabe and you like his personality. It's a me cast. It's why it's called the Zabe cast. Exactly. It's me on a bunch bunch of different things. Okay. You asking me about Left's Lucky Town might not appeal to people who've never been to Left's Lucky Town, but fuck them. All right, let's go to football. Did you watch any of Patrick Mahomes last night? I did. The Patrick Mahomes fucking show that dude is that dude like for reals wow i um i would agree the oh, left-handed you gonna, pass you do some you do some pump i'm break. gonna do some pumping of the brakes you can do some brake pumping yeah oh wow you're in the minority today go well, ahead no but there were times when you know michael vick was that dude and there, there we've had these uh, we've had these flashes of greatness and flashes of light going this rg3 Right. RG freaking Colin Kaepernick. Yes. Right. Going to revolutionize the yes. game. And he's good. And he's playing great. And they look fantastic. And I have a, a former intern of mine works in the Chiefs uh, scouting department now. And then God bless. And he all, does. It's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. So he was but, in on scouting Mahomes when they moved up to get him out was, of Texas I he Tech. Was, I where, think he was getting coffee for the guys who scouted Mahomes. Now he's moved his way up to a little higher level, but... Okay, by the way, uh, most people on draft day, when the Chiefs made that move, and I forget what they gave up to get them, good research, hey, fuck you, all right? I've taken enough criticism today. Uh, when they moved up to get them, a lot of people were like, what? Mm. Because yeah. uh, he didn't do shit. I mean, he didn't win big at Texas Tech, not like Baker Mayfield no. did at Oklahoma. And he was not talked about as a top two or three pick. And the Chiefs said, fuck, we're going to get this guy. And my thought was, these Big 12 quarterbacks, man, wait till they get to the NFL where the passing windows are tight and the rush is a lot more fierce and guys aren't as wide open. Well, Patrick Mahomes is shitting all over that going, no, I've got it. And that arm is so ridiculous. It's not just big, it's accurate. Yep. yep. He's uh, That's Rogers like to be big arm and accurate. Yeah. But, you know, who, who does he strike you? Who are the comparisons that come I don't right? know. I just, I just think the I don't phenomenon, know the comp. He's a better I, thrower than RG3 yes. and Kaepernick was. I, I have no reason to pump the brakes other than those guys that were, you know, the flavor. Yeah, he's a, he, he, he doesn't. He's he, not as, okay, he's not as electrified. He's not. Well, like, well, Russell Wilson. He maybe. doesn't have the arm. But, like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, he looked like he was going to be a Lombre, and he settled into his level. And I don't know that it's, you know. Otherworldly, yeah, I, I think he's very I think, good. I think Mahomes has more pure talent 
than Wilson. And I think Wilson is a run around like a chicken in a courtyard quarterback when he's mm-hmm. under pressure in the back of, you know, in the backfield. Sort of like a modern day Fran Tarkenton. I think Mahomes is more of a of a real deal guy. I think the, he's bigger too. Yes. And well, and there was I a time when Derek accurate. Carr was going to be the guy, or you know, we've uh, seen Derek flashes. Carr got paid like he was the guy. Well, exactly. I mean, you see flashes, so I just have to see more. But I love what I'm seeing. I'm not shitting on his performance at all. It's just that we tend to overreact to things. As I know. Media, media, the, the NFL media industrial complex, especially, <laughs> likes to jump on guys. Speaking, and I would say RG three and Kaepernick are pretty good examples. And going back all the way to Michael Vick. Okay, speaking of, of overreacting, where do you stand on Joe Tessitore, the new voice of Monday Night Football? Man, it's uh, just kind of vanilla to me. I mean, vanilla. Really? I mean, yeah, it's, he's fine. but uh, So he nothing... doesn't rub you one way or no, the other. No, you know, I, I, my, I, my I partner didn't have an opinion. My partner, Scott Lynn, hates him with a yeah. seething passion, thinks that he oversells every call, that he's too game show-like, and that he is too rah-rah. I and this and a lot I get a lot of feedback saying basically the same thing. I'm going to be a little bit contrarian here, not for the purpose of it, but because I genuinely believe it. I kind of like him. I think he's pretty damn good. I'm going to give you a call from late in the game yesterday, and you tell me what you think of this particular call. All right, second and a country mile. If you're Denver, keep the ball. In- That's Booger, by the way. Do you have a thought, real quick, on Booger uh, or Witten? Speaking of excitable, yeah, Witten's trying to be a poor man's Romo. <laughs> He is. <laughs> he is. I think Witten has the the furthest to go. I like Booger already. I think he's a little yeah. bit out of out of the box. I like the big Barca lounger they mount him on on the sidelines. That's kind of cool. That is cool. And uh, and I, I'm kind of liking Tessator. But anyway, back okay. to uh, back to the call here. Nothing over the top right now. But you got a quarterback who can throw at a country mile. But- See, that's the. That's what my boy Scott Lynn doesn't like. He's like, oh, I got a quarterback who can throw it a country mile. He thinks it's a little puke voice-ish. A little bit cheesy uh, announcer guy voice. Yeah. I, I'm fine with I it. I'm, I'm fine, fine with, with it. it. Yeah, I'm all right. Who can throw it a country mile. But you got one-on-one with Travis Kelsey on Brandon Marshall. They bring four against Mahomes. And gets it downfield again. Oh, wait a minute. That was not the call I wanted. Damn it. Anyway, I like Tessator. I'm going to keep my, my, my opinions open on him. But I think he adds a real energy to the game, which is what I want out of my play-by-play guys. That's yes. why I hate Al Michaels now. He brings no energy, and he whines a lot. And there's a catch. Yeah, he's, that's an old school. But then to the line of Gus Johnson... Where are you? I mean, well, here's the thing. The Gus, some people viscerally hate Gus Johnson. Yes, I'm okay with you. You're, oh, you're in that group. He's, well, he's polarizing. I'm. I'm not a big fan of Gus. Oh, no, I don't worship at the altar of Gus, but I'm no. fine with Gus. I'd rather have guys on that side of it than on the other side of it, where they undersell stuff, where they just their calls are boring or inaccurate. So, what's here's one for you. This would be a good uh, July topic. Your all-time favorite Monday night booth. Oh, God. The prime was Gifford, Cosell, and Meredith, right? Yeah, that would be a good one. Can we go back to July? Yeah. We'll oh, no, we can't. July. There's too much can't other go. shit yeah, going on. Too much on. other shit going on, but that's uh, a good one. Le'Veon, Write that one down for a rainy day. Le'Veon Bell is going to report week seven during the bye week. What How about that for a boss fuck you move? Oh, I get paid God. during the bye week, and I'm showing up then. It's not as soon as you'd like, which would be next week. Yesterday. And it's not as late as I could hold out. Week 11, which I threatened to do. It's right in the middle when we're not playing a game. <laughs> what an asshole. And by <laughs> asshole, I mean genius. Genius. I, I can't begrudge him this. He's tweaking him. Yeah, I love it. Because the Steelers can't run the ball now. Uh, Connor had one good game in the week one, and since then has basically done nothing. The Steelers' defense is in disarray. I don't know how Le'Veon Bell is going to fix their defense, which is a dumpster fire. But he's basically said, okay, now you want me. Oh, I mean, they've always wanted him, but now he's like, all right, I guess I'll come back. How about they get him back and just let's just throw the season away, and we're we're gonna give him we're gonna give him fifty carries a game to get our money's worth out of him. Yeah, fifty, sixty carries a game. Come on, what you if signed he, up to work, didn't you? Wouldn't that be amazing if they did run him fifty times, like fifty a new, carries? What is the NFL record for carries in a game? Oh, I'm God. look that one up right now. <laughs> NFL. Re- I bet. I bet. What do you bet it is? Uh, attempts. Got to be a forty. Um, 
Well, I mean, there's the eras of in a single game. All right. Right, ProFootballReference.com, I mean, what a great site. Uh, rushing attempts, single game leaders. It's in, it's in the 40s, got to be in the 40s, right? Yeah. Uh, this is a giant. His brother was more famous than him. His first name was Jamie. 45 attempts. Jamie Morris. Jamie Morris. Remember Jamie Morris? Joe Morris was was his Joe brother, Morris, the more, famous, okay, the more yeah. famous giant. He had a brother, that. Jamie, also a running back. 45 carries against, uh, for the Redskins. I'm sorry, not the Giants, for the Redskins. Redskins. He was a Redskin, yeah. He carried 45 times for the Redskins in 1988 against the Cincinnati Bengals. Le'Veon, that's your target. You're going to 46 at least. (laughs) Uh, Butch Woolfork, 43 carries for the Giants against the Eagles in 83. So these are both in the 80s. What's the, what would we say is the modern era record? Well, I think that's modern. Anything, I mean, well, 80s, anything yeah, that I'm is talking Super about Bowl anything, forward, I consider anything modern. Anything 2000-ish that they have? Yes. Is there anything? Third okay. one, Rudy Johnson for the Bengals. 43 carries okay. against the Texans. Remember Rudy Johnson? Yes. James Wilder for the Buccaneers had 43 against the Packers in Ooh, 1984. 84. I remember James Wilder. Uh, Wilder had, an, had a 42-carry game in 83 for Tampa Bay. So he's 4-5 and five on the list. Ricky Williams would probably be the most so, notable guy you remember. 2003, he carried so 42 times against Buffalo. 15 years since someone cracked the, the 40s. Uh, let's see here. The last, okay, the, uh, the 40 club. It's been at least 15 years since someone cracked 40 Are carries. you looking at it right now? I just called it up, yes. Okay, one, two, three. No, uh, 2006. Oh, wait, wait, oh, six. Sean, Sean Alexander, Alexander had okay, one. So, okay, so 12 years yeah. since someone cracked 40. So 40 is kind of like the, the DMZ. Yeah. Well, guess what? Running ain't cool anymore. Exactly. Just like bell-bottom jeans and wide ties, not cool anymore. Which brings us, Drew, before we get to fuck that guy, it brings us to your stat of the day. Oh, I love this Which we don't do every day, but it's the stat of today. Stat of today. So, currently, Jared Goff leads the NFL in passer rating at 127.3. Mahomes at 126, Breeze 115, Fitzpatrick 114, Ryan 114, Rivers 110. If those sound like gaudy numbers, they are. Joe Montana's career passer rating of 92.3 would only rank 22nd in the NFL in 2018. Woo! Your stat of the day. Fantastic. Joe Montana would be a below average palooka in today's NFL. This is true. Think about that. Think about how fucking easy they have made passing the ball now that you have seven quarterbacks above 107. I remember a passer rating of like 107. Like, shit, he's having a great year. Now it's like, yeah, you're ninth. That's pedestrian. Right. It's not very special. Anything you want to get to before, fuck that guy. Um, Well, you know. Do I get your Ryder Cup take? To the, guy, Since, well, to the guy that complained about too much golf talk, yes, Homer, I'll put yes. all apples in the vending machine. Go ahead, Drew. Give me well, your Ryder Cup take in five seconds or less. I, I love the fact that uh, Team USA is brawling in the uh, the European team room because they didn't show much fight on the course. Now, I heard that Kepka and DJ got into an actual fight. Yes. I have not read that. Oh, yeah. I went looking for it. All I know is NBC that NBC Patrick- Sports reported that they were... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what exactly it was, but they were fighting in the team room afterwards. And they're bros. They're bros. They're bros. They're lifting bros. Yes, but they got into it. They got into it. That's hilarious. They didn't show much fight on the course, though. You you know how people on on Twitter like to post the still image of the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other? Yes. When people are blaming the other and they should be blaming themselves? By the way, are you a big Spider-Man fan? Do you know what that scene is from in the Spider-Man comic history? I don't. Okay. I, do not, I, I'm not a I don't either. I'm going to have to look historian. that one up. But yeah, it's the two Spider-Mans meme on on Twitter. That's perfect for Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson because the two of them are the two biggest most boring zilches that never show any emotion. <laughs> and so, if for them to be fighting over, hey man, you didn't show enough fight. It's like, wait a minute. Both of you guys are in the same boat. What are you if, talking about? If DJ didn't have Paulina on his arm, I'd be completely uninterested in his <laughs> his career path. Yeah. So, did, uh, total minutes of Ryder Cup you watched? Uh, not a lot. I got to tell if you. If it's zero, um, that's fine. No, it wasn't. It wasn't zero. It was probably uh, 
30 between 30 and okay. uh, 30 to an hour did you see the Sunday. see the poor woman who lost an eye on a brooks kepka drive i did Oof, indeed uh, they said her eyeball shattered exploded a, exploded exploded eyeball Ugh. fractured orbital socket off a wayward drive i know it's easy to say hey you got to be paying attention and yeah he probably yelled yeah. four got no chance no it's it's random it's the lottery yeah. of life man god does that suck that sucks and it would have been great if it was one of Ian Poulter's family members. Though. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, All the, right. The Ryder Cup, to me, though, Zabe, I know you love it and live for it, and you drink it, and you should, because it's, like you said, it's served every two years. But it is, uh, the time difference hurt me, and that's, with uh, all the other competition and stuff. Uh, Understood. Yeah. Time difference was not good, and it wasn't close on Sunday. If it's not going to be fucking close, even us golf nerds are going to have a hard time hunkering down. I got into it with a a buddy of mine about this too, and believe it or not, we were arguing about the Ryder Cup because he was saying like, oh, Tiger sucks, or Phil Mickelson sucks in the Ryder Cup. And then I'm like, yeah, but isn't that, aren't you victim to the small sample? Because after, you know, being in baseball so much and all the numbers and everything, that is a small sample to say, that's like saying, you know, Tom Brady's never lost a Super Bowl until he did. John Elway's never won a fucking Super Bowl until he won one. Yeah, but guess what? Tiger's sample is now very large over the number of Ryder Cups he's yeah. played. Phil Mickelson's sample, he became it's, Phil Mickelson became the losingest point loser in Ryder yes, Cup history. And, but and, even and, that is a it's a rarefied error and it's the three days uh, every two years. We're we're judging him on three days every two years. Uh Ian Poulter has a not small sample size at the Ryder Cup and his record is outstanding. It's it seems a little random to me, like saying what is um what's the quarterback's record in week three of the regular season, and then we're gonna see oh well, he sucks in week three if I can can't win in week three well, well you know I mean okay bottom line is yeah I, to... I feel that way about majors too by the way I know that they're emphasized because they're the Super Bowl and everything but you can be a good player and not necessarily put put it together and win majors even though that's it's heresy to say to golf guys but bottom line is. We would not exist without arguing about records. <laughs> so, good point. We're gonna good we're point. gonna we're Bring gonna it. we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and uh, compile Ryder Cup records and say yes, this is his record in the Ryder Cup, and he either's good or he sucks or whatever. Okay. Having said that, Drew, it has come time for us to get it off our chests. Dun-dun-dun. Love this jam. I'm not a good guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. All right, Drew, who's your FTG for the week? At the risk of being repetitive, and uh, this could be a just, I could do it every week, and I'll never run out of material. It's the Mount Rushmore of Fuck That Guy. Fuck that guy. Your NC. Double A, the crowdfunding drive for the player from Tennessee State, Christian right, Abercrombie. This. Christian Abercrombie had a devastating head injury in the first half of a loss to Vanderbilt on Saturday. Get. So Tennessee State goes into Vanderbilt. He was taking on a block on a, a you know a seemingly typical play. Came to the sideline. He said, "I got a headache, man." So he's going in there. They're exam- examining him for a concussion. He's out of the game. They're taking him to the locker room, and he collapsed. And then it's, oh boy, get him to the hospital. Vanderbilt Medical Center, one of the great facilities in our country. Emergency surgery. He's in critical condition Monday morning. And fans of Tennessee State and people who just saw it and thought, oh shit, that's just awful. Start crowdfunding drives on GoFundMe to help his family deal with, they're going to have enormous medical costs, right? They don't, the school's not going to pick it up? Uh, There will, but there's, this is one of those things where it's going to be extra, extra. Okay. And so then the NCAA warned Tennessee State that these donations will affect his eligibility and said, not so fast, you can't do this. So two of the GoFundMe pages launched by individuals, um, the sister, including the sister of uh, Tennessee State's coach and a Nashville resident who saw it and thought, fuck, this is awful, I'll start a GoFundMe. They were taken down at the school's request because of a potential violation. Now, All right, at this point, do you have a problem with the NCAA saying that? The NCAA also told TSU any other crowdfunding attempts may put his eligibility in jeopardy, but there was one that was allowed to remain active on GoFundMe. It was started by Jennifer Bell, who happens to be Tennessee State's Associate Athletic Director for Compliance. Her job is to make sure that the university and its agents represent and abide by the NCAA University Conference rules and regulation. So there is an approved GoFundMe to help Christian Abercrombie and his family with what are sure to be overwhelming medical expenses as he moves forward with his life. So what's the problem? And Tennessee State is going to 
solicit the funds for the student athlete and do this with an official one. So what's the problem? Because people tried to do the, the human thing. Yeah, but don't you understand? It's squashed. not about this particular case. It's about the next case and the next case yes. and the next and case. Pretty soon, Alabama fans are going to be crowdfunding their star-wide receiver because <laughs> he got a fucking hangnail. You know that, Drew. Yes, you know yes, it's but, not about this case. It's about the next case. It's about principle. Yes, and right. let's uh, let's just tie it up in bureaucracy. Right. In this so to the NCAA, bullshit. Drew, you Again, say. It's, fuck that guy. Love you. All right, my fuck that guy goes this week to whatever bean counter at NBC Sports decided it was too expensive to pay for shot tracers on every damn hole at the Ryder Cup. Ooh. The shot tracer is the equivalent of the first down line. You don't have the option of not paying for it. So Can't live without it now. Get out your green eye shade and figure out where to cut elsewhere, like maybe Johnny Miller's you know, in-room in dining budget, and get the shot tracer. So to the bean yes. counter that did that, fuck that guy. Love that. You go retro and try to watch a game from the a baseball game from the eighties when they didn't have the score bug. It just give you the count and the score. Yeah, ridiculous. What the fuck. All right, <laughs> Drew. Me? Drew, listen to Drew on iHeart uh, Radio app. That's the right. iHeart app, uh, Big Nine Twenty in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and follow him on Twitter at Drew Olson MKE. All right, congrats on the title, buddy. It's great. Oh, Keep rolling. Exciting times around here. Keep rolling. And to the asshole who didn't like baseball, I'm sorry, dude. I can't. I mean, I'm sorry I called you an asshole, but yeah. A lot of baseball talk in there. You're going to have to pick through it like onions in a enchilada like I did as a kid and just get through them, pick them, put it to the side, and you know, eat whatever the what podcast you like. <laughs> the black olives in my taco dip. <laughs> exactly. All right, Drew, we'll see you next week. All right, buddy. We'll end with this today. As if the Ryder Cup didn't go poorly enough for the U.S. team at Le Golf Club Nacional. Le Golf Nacional, I think it is. It got even worse with news reports that came out Tuesday that a young woman who was struck by a wayward Brooks Kepka drive had lost sight in her eye after being struck in that eye. Doctors said she suffered an orbital fracture and a, quote, exploded eyeball. Good God! I'd never heard that term before. Oh my God. It's one of those things you say to yourself, well, maybe should she have been watching? Should the marshals have said, watch out, four left, four right? Maybe she could have. Maybe they did. But at 330 yards away, downrange or thereabouts, you're not going to see a ball. I mean, even if you're tracking that ball fanatically, I mean, you're like looking at it, you could still get hit in the eye. As you think, oh, it's going over me, or, or oh, it's not. Or, or it can bounce off the ground and hit you in the eye at a pretty good pace. It's just a freak accident that I don't think there's any solution to. And it's, I'm, I'm sure Kepka himself feels sick, absolutely sick about, even though it's part of the risk of walking out your door any day, of going to a sporting event, of getting hit with something. I know that in hockey, they obviously put up the nets behind the goals because of a horrible incident in which a young girl was killed in Columbus. Baseball has been expanding the netting around their fields because of more and more splintered bats. And I get it, and I get it, but at some point, there's just no safety in it. So this has been a Ryder Cup to forget, including now the reports of DJ and Brooks Kepka getting into it uh, after the matches. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think the two dude bros going at it. And also... People pushing now back on Patrick Reed, other U.S. Ryder Cup members, anonymously saying that guy's full of shit. I think safe to say, Patrick Reed, you can count on, you better make it on points, whatever the point system is, because you are not going to be a captain's pick. And you better hope, Patrick Reed, they don't cut the point qualifiers down to six from the current eight that they have now, because they might just do that. I don't think he's getting picked again in a Ryder Cup for as long as he's playing. And maybe he wants it that way. Who knows? Was that too much golf talk for you, everybody? I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. It was It was a lot of eyeball talk and then a little bit of golf talk smattered in at the end. All right, that'll do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. Tell three friends at all the usual podcast outlets. Premium Zabe available at zabe.com slash premium, where we only talk football on Fridays. No golf, no anything else. And another Monster Week is coming this Friday. Only four ninety nine a month. 
for the whole month. Help support the podcast. I appreciate it deeply. Thanks for listening. Now go run out in traffic, and I will see you next time. Yeah.